discipleship and I've kind of been using this yoke here uh, as a visual um, but more, much more than a visual uh, I have this new microphone and this is I'm just going to comment on it every week until I'm used to it it really bothers me but it sounds so much better than that other one um, so uh, this yoke here you know Jesus uh, uses not this yoke, but one much like it, I'm sure, uh, to teach us something very important about discipleship. And when he says, he invites us to uh, take his yoke upon us and for us to um, basically enter into a relationship with him uh, when we are saved, he says, okay, um, now that you're saved, you need to learn some things. You need to learn about the kingdom. You need to learn about what freedom is. And, you know, we've been singing these, these songs and some of the ones tonight, you know, we're talking about being free from chains and shackles and shame and all those kinds of things and how uh, his is the kingdom and we are his, so we're also in the kingdom. And, and all these things that don't just, they don't just immediately happen when you come to know Jesus as your Savior. Uh, there's a, a moment when, when you, when you, uh, for a Christian, you place your faith in him and what he has done and, and who he is. And then you enter into this relationship, and so he uses this yoke uh, to kind of teach us. He's like, okay, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the way that a yoke would work is you would have a, a veteran animal that would be in one side and a younger, less experienced kind of rookie animal on the other side. And they were bound together in this yoke as a means of the young one learning from the older one. And so the older one kind of, you know, would know the, the calls and the, the signals of the master and would know what, whether they were plowing or if they were traveling somewhere or whatever it was. The older one, he'd just he'd been there and he had experienced those things and he knew exactly what to do. The younger one's kind of unbridled and, you know, kind of like most of us when you're young, you're just very eager and kind of whatever. And um, so this is an instrument of work. It's an instrument of learning and teaching. And that's what a part of what should come to mind is uh, Jesus is in one side, you're in the other side, and you are now bound to him, and he is now going to teach you some things. And you can join him in that, and you can, we can be cooperative and obedient, and we can enjoy that and uh, let him teach us, or we can be obstinate and rebellious and whatever. It doesn't matter. We're bound to him, and he's going to drag you along sometimes. And sometimes he wants to go right, and you want to go left, and sometimes that means you're going right, whether you want to or not. And then other times, uh, he wants to go right, and you want to go left. And he's like, all right, we'll go left for a little while. That's fine. But we're going right eventually. You know that, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so it's just this whole, this beautiful relationship that goes over the entire course of your life where you are learning directly from Jesus, him in, in the veteran awesome side, you in the rookie still got a lot to learn side. Um, but this also... Uh, is a way of understanding what discipleship looks like, not only in a directly from Christ, like in a, in a vertical him and you kind of way, but also how we learn from each other in a horizontal kind of way. 
So in the Great Commission, when Jesus sends out all of his disciples, he says to go into all the, all, all the nations and uh, to make disciples of, of all people. And he says when you make disciples, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit. So that's that conversion moment. That's that placing your faith in what Jesus has done at the cross, making him Lord and Savior, entering into this yoke with him. Uh, it says baptize them, but then you have to teach them. It's baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So he entrusts to his disciples the idea of bringing the gospel, there's conversion there, but then you, you have to teach them. And so the yoke is not only uh, helpful in understanding our relationship with Jesus, him in one side, you in the other, but also how we learn from each other. So sometimes you are the seasoned veteran animal and you have walked with Jesus for longer and you've learned some of the, you've learned how to pray, you've learned how to get into the scriptures, you've learned some kingdom things. And so you are on this side and someone who is newer to the faith is in the other side. And so discipleship is a relationship where we're also, we're yoked to one another and we learn from each other and we are mentored and we are teachers and we are also learners. And so sometimes you're in this side where you're the veteran. Sometimes you're over here where you're the learner and life in Christ. And as, a, as the church of God, we're, we're spending time in both sides of it. You know, that sometimes you're, t- you're the teacher and sometimes you're the student uh, both should be present in our lives. We should have time in both of those. And all this is happening while we're also in the yoke with Christ. And so, um, so I want to look at a passage, or two passages real quick, to kind of establish a baseline. But then we're going to talk uh, tonight and next week about uh, this horizontal discipleship. You know, two, two humans in the yoke, as opposed to Jesus and you in the yoke, and what that looks like and why that's so important to us. So in John chapter 1, uh, we, we see the calling of the 12, uh, or the first couple of 12. Uh, if you look in verse 35, John one thirty-five. Uh, the next day, again, John, so this is, this is John the Baptist, this is Jesus' cousin, uh, who was the, kind of the, the pre-runner, so he was the one getting everybody stirred up about the Messiah that was to come, who would be Jesus, um, and John had his, John the Baptist had disciples as well, people followed after him under his teachings and stuff, uh, so it says the next day again, John, in parentheses, the Baptist, uh, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked, as Je- uh, looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. All right, so uh, these two guys, disciples of John the Baptist, they see Jesus. They're like, they start following him. He's like, hey, what do you want? And I don't know if this is like a legit question or just like a, like, you know, you're kind of stunned and you aren't sure what to say. And they're like, uh, where are you staying? You know, uh, probably not the best question. If like, that's the Messiah. Let's go ask him something. Of all the things you could ask the Messiah, where are, you, where, are you, where are you hanging out, you know? Uh, maybe not the best one, but um, that's what they ask him. 
And there's, there's something that, that we see uh, in this encounter. And so there's, there's three points. Let me make real quick. The first thing that we see is there's, there is an encounter that, that Jesus initiates. Okay, so Jesus walks by. They're following after him. Jesus stops, turns around, and engages them in some, some sort of conversation. All right? So the first thing, there is an encounter that Jesus initiates. The second thing, there is an, there's an invitation just come along, right? Like, Where are you staying? He's like, come and see. Come and find out. So he invites them to come follow him. And then the third thing that we see is there's a response. They either like, take him up on the invitation or they don't take him up on the invitation. Uh, so look at, it, look at it again. See all, all three of those things. Verse 38. Jesus turned turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? All right, so that's, that's the encounter that Jesus initiates. Uh, they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Uh, he said to them, come and you will see. So he invites them to come and follow him. Uh, that's the invitation, the second one. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day. Uh, they took him up on the invitation. There was a response. En- encounter, invitation, response. Encounter that Jesus initiates. Um, uh, encounter that Jesus initiates, uh, an invitation to come and follow him, and then a response one way or the other. That's what we see. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He uh, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So these two guys are Andrew and Peter, like the Andrew, the Peter, um, who would go on to be his disciples. So that's how, they, uh, that's how their relationship with him began, which was following John the Baptist. He's like, that's the Lamb of God. They uh, start following him. Jesus says, what do you want? There's, those things happen. That's how their whole discipleship began. Uh, look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And said to him, follow me. What, is it? what do we see there? He found Philip. That's an encounter that Jesus initiates. He said, follow me. That's an invitation. And then uh, verse 44, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom, Jesus, of, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, classic Nathaniel. Okay. Uh, Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I, saw, uh, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Go to Matthew chapter 4. An encounter that Jesus initiates, an invitation to come after him, and a response one way or the other. 
These are, these are common factors that we see. Um, now, in verse 18 of, of Matthew 4, this is, this is a while later. So um, there's some time between what we just talked about and then what we're about to read. Some time has passed. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. So these are the same guys that were following him. They're like, where are you staying? Like that whole encounter, same, same guys. But now they, uh, they followed him for a while, but they had returned back home. They're in the family business. They're fishing, that kind of stuff. Uh, verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers, fishers of men. <clears throat> Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Again, an encounter that's initiated by Jesus, an invitation to come and follow him, and a response to take him up on his invitation or not to. We see the same things there. Verse 21, And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Immediately they followed him. So here's, this is, like Jesus is like building his uh, his group of of close knit disciples. Now he Jesus had a big following, you know, and sometimes it was huge, and sometimes it was you know obviously a little smaller and stuff like that. But he was a very popular and controversial teacher and rabbi. Uh, but but rabbis they have this this little brood, you know, this little group of uh, young men that they are investing in and discipling. And so Jesus, uh, like you can read in, I, bl- I believe it's in Luke's account, like before he starts calling them, uh, like really being like, you're going to be mine, he goes up on this mountain and he spends the whole night praying and, and choosing them, uh, who he's going to pursue and who he's going to invite in a different way than he invites the masses. And who's he going to ask, say, come and follow me. And who is going to say yes to that invitation and no to that invitation. Um, these things that we see with those disciples are the same things that happen with you and I today. It's the same exact stuff that goes on in our following of Christ. That there is an encounter that he initiates. That no matter how, if you're a Christian, no matter how random your coming into the faith may seem to you, that God, he began a good work in you, that he started something, that he made the first move, he's an initiator with you. Uh, from your perspective, you might not see how he's moving all the things into place, but like we know from scripture and from sovereignty and from the fact that nothing is random, that uh, that's exactly what happened. There was an encounter with Christ that uh, he he initiated with you. There was an offer, an, an invitation for you to come and to trust him as your savior, to come and enter into the yoke, to, uh, to place your faith in what he has done in sacrificing himself for our sin in order to cross us from death into life. Um, and then there was a response. Like you, you responded at some point and you either said, yes, I believe that, I want that, or Maybe you said no. Maybe you've said no for a long time. Like, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But in, in, in every case, when Jesus is, um, is calling his disciples forward, we see those same things. An encounter he initiates, an invitation to follow him, and a response one way or the other. Um, so now I want to take all, everything I just said, and I want to hit pause for a minute on that, sort of. And I want to what, take what seems like it's going to be a leap into a completely different subject. But uh, um, 
I'll, I'll integrate them a little bit. I'll weave them together as best I can. Um, I want to look, next week's going to be very, very practical as far as like, okay, let's say that, let's say that we want to um, be obedient to his call to teach and to learn uh, interpersonally from other people. We want to get, we want that to be a bigger deal to us. Like how to, how does that work? Who makes the first move there? What do those times together look like? How do you know who out of all the people to choose? Like all those, all those things, that's, that's all next week. Um, tonight I want to I cover very quickly five, um, I'm, I, I just call them lies. Five lies that we believe that keep us from getting into that yoke with another person, whether it's as a teacher or as a learner, things that scare us about this call. Um, now, again, not talking about what keeps us in the yoke with, what keeps us out of the yoke with Jesus, because uh, you can't get out of the yoke with Jesus. Um, sometimes we talk like we can and stuff like that, and we're, you know, you know, we're, I'm, I'm backslidden or I'm this and this and this, but like he, he built the yoke, he put you in the yoke, you, you can't get out the yoke, you know, that's a whole other kind of thing. But we can, we can avoid the yoke with one another, um, more or less. Like, we can run from this a lot together. And so I want to cover five things. Uh, I'm going to give you, uh, like, kind of a key word for each of them because I don't have, like, a, I'm just not there tonight. So I'm going to give you a, a key word uh, for each of them. There'll be five for all my note-taking friends. Uh, the first one, our, our lies connected, to, you just write the word time. You write time. Uh, lies connected to time. And here's the, here's what that sounds like. It sounds like this. I don't have time to mentor somebody. I don't have time to disciple someone. I don't have time to meet with somebody. I don't have time to learn. I don't have time, whatever. I have a family. I have, you know, I have wife and kids. I got a job. I got this. I got this. I got a community group and church, both at night. So that's two out of my seven nights, you know, and all this and this and this and this. And I don't have time. I don't have time for the yoke. You know, on either side, I don't have time for it. And my answer to that would be bull. You can quote me on that. It's bull. It's just, it's such a lame, lame thing when we say that we don't have time for stuff because we have time for everything that we want to do. We have plenty of time for the things that are important to us. Um, we have time to watch a lot of TV. We have time to go to ball games. We have time to hang out and time to do this and time to do this and time to do this. Uh, saying I don't have time is, it's a laughable excuse, but it's become such a, a badge of worth for us, you know, in our day and age. I'm like, oh, I'm just so busy, you know. I'm so important that... I'm maxed out all the time, and I just, uh, you know, I don't have time for that because I got so much else going on because I'm so awesome, you know. Um, nobody ever says it that way, but that's sort of kind of what it's become is this whatever. And the thing is, we we do have time. Like, that's not a valid uh, anything, honestly. Uh, the truth is, what we really should say is, like, the, the yoke is not important enough to me to make time for it. That's not important enough to me. All these other things are, are important. And I'm not saying that those things are unimportant. Uh, a lot of times we, of course, fill our lives with a lot of things that are very important. 
There's also a lot of very unimportant things in that we fit into our schedules when compared to something this important. Something that Jesus, I mean, his parting words to his disciples involve this right here. And so this needs to become valued more to us. So saying that you don't have time is not true. Saying that it's going to be difficult to find time, that's, that's true. That would be difficult. Um, saying that uh, I'm gonna, it's going to take me a while to, to, to rearrange life a little bit, to create some space for this, uh, that's, that's, that's fair. Um, but we can't say we don't have time. Uh, we're going to throw up on the screen real quick um, Psalm 90, verse 12. This is the, uh, the great Moses. This is what he says. Uh, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is Moses. This is his prayer. Teach us to number our days. Now he's not saying, tell me how many days I have left before I pass away. He's saying like, no, like, we need to number, we need to organize, we need to structure. We don't, we don't want to waste any of our time uh, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Uh, that's the prayer for someone who is struggling with the time factor in, in the yoke on either side of it. So what you do is you come back to time with Jesus, and when in your yoke with Jesus, you're like, hey, will you teach me how to, how to order my days and structure my days, and how can I re, like, reorganize my life to create space for the discipleship and learning with other people, which you have declared to be one of the most important things that we can do on the earth. Um, I've created a lot of room for things that are very, very mindless and unimportant and have no eternal significance. Would you teach me how to organize my days so that I'm invested in things that are eternal? And Jesus will say, yes. Yes. So, uh, that's the first one. Things related to time. Um, Going back to the uh, apostles following after him, you know, when Jesus, when he saw Peter and Andrew the second time, um, and he was like, hey, come follow me, it says that they left immediately. They could have said like, well, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. But this time, they didn't. They took off right away. Another, another encounter Jesus has with someone, he says like, hey, yeah, let me go, I need to go like bury my father first. And Jesus is like, no, let the dead take care of the dead. You come now. That's, there's a priority here uh, in things. So the first one connected to time, uh, we do have time. Number two, the, the word for, you can write down for this one, or lies uh, connected to uh, replication. Replication. This is what this one sounds like. It's like, well, nobody ever really mentored me and discipled me, and so uh, I don't really know what it looks like or what it means. Um, so I don't know what to replicate. I don't know what to, to duplicate with someone because nobody did this for me, so, uh, oh well. And, you know, there's probably some, like, truth to that. Uh, there's probably a lot of people in this room who weren't, like, when you ca- became a Christian, uh, maybe you didn't have someone like take you under their wing, so to speak. Someone say like, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start meeting with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you to obey all that Jesus has instructed of us, and uh, let you learn from me." And those kind of things. Maybe, maybe you had someone. Maybe you didn't. Uh, 
So there's probably a little bit of like validity there. Um, but all that really does is it makes us unsure of what it should look like. But sometimes we let that uncertainty become uh, just a huge excuse for us and a reason for us to not make this important in our lives. Um, and the, the funny thing about it is, like, since when do we undercompensate for deficiencies in our upbringing? You know? When do, when, like, we don't do that in other areas of life. You know, like, if, if your parents, like, would never let you eat sweets when you were growing up, you probably go crazy for sweets now that you're an adult, right? You, you were deprived of something, so you overcompensate, and you just love ice cream and cupcakes and whatever now. And if you have kids, you'll never deprive them of sweets, right? If, you're, if your dad was emotionally unavailable to you, and that hurts you. You have a kid. What's your vow? I'm never going to be that way with my kid. Uh, we don't undercompensate for those deficiencies, like our perceived deficiencies growing up. We overcompensate for those. That's what we do. We look at ways, like gaps in our like upbringing, and we make sure that that doesn't happen again for other people or to ourselves. That's kind of how we work. But for some reason with discipleship and life in the yoke, this is one of those things where we're like, well, nobody did it for me. And like, you know, okay, whatever. So I don't really know what it would look like. Therefore, it's not uh, important. Or therefore, I'm going to shy away from it and run from it. Um, And that should not be the case, right? We should overcompensate for this just like we do in other areas of life for maybe like deficiencies in the way that we were raised. We should look at this and say, nobody walked with me faithfully when I was younger through the faith. Therefore, I will make sure that doesn't happen to someone else. I will not stand by and let what happened to me happen to someone else. That should be the attitude about that. That should be what we're going for. But for some reason, we don't all, not all of us have that take on stuff. We f- find a way uh, for that not to happen. And so um, the thing is, you have been discipled in the faith. So it's really a lie to say that no one did this for you. Maybe it wasn't a traditional way. Maybe it wasn't as you know, organized or whatever. Um, but you didn't come to know Christ and then nothing happened at all, you know. You've learned some stuff. Maybe it wasn't one-on-one in the yoke with someone, but you learned somehow. Many people uh, learn. It's, it's kind of that, like, after high school time, you know, you go kind of, not, not everybody goes to college necessarily, but in that, like, age gap right there, where you start to ask some important questions and figure out what's going on, and you learn that way. You learned from your family. You learned from Sunday school teachers and preachers and uh, campus ministers, and you learned from peers. And you you've learned. Maybe no one ever like sat down with you consistently and walked you through it, but you figured some stuff out. So it's really not fair to yourself or to someone else to say like, well, it wasn't done for me, so I wouldn't really know what to do, and I have no idea what to replicate. Uh, that's not really true. You've learned. 
And maybe you've learned the hard way and whatever, but the truth is you have learned. Jesus has made sure that you had examples and people there to teach you and to learn from them. Um, So you have learned some stuff and therefore you can teach some stuff. So we can't let that insecurity of uh, not knowing what it looks like deter us. Uh, When you think about it, going back to the text that we were looking at, um, Jesus, I don't know if this is... I would assume that Jesus, growing up, uh, maybe followed a rabbi at some point or whatever, but no one had ever discipled people in the kingdom of God the way that Jesus did with his followers. No one had ever done that before. So Jesus didn't know what to replicate either. I know we're like, yeah, but he was Jesus, you know, whatever. No, he was Jesus who humbled himself, did not access his divine nature, and was just as dependent on the Spirit to guide him and empower him, and just as dependent on prayer to stay in tune with the Father, all that stuff, just as much as you and I are. So he was like us in that. He was in uncharted waters, and it didn't stop him from uh, going after Andrew and Peter he didn't, didn't stop him from calling those disciples, didn't stop him from teaching, didn't keep him out of the yoke, and it didn't stop him from any of that, so why should it stop us? So that's the second thing, replicate. Um, number three, you can write the word understanding for this one. Understanding. This is what this one sounds like. Uh... I don't think I really need to learn. I just need to apply what I've already learned. I hear that sometimes from people, you know, it's like, well, I don't really need someone to sit down and teach me about prayer because, I mean, I know all about prayer. I just don't pray. You know, I don't need to learn about obedience. I just need I just need to apply what I've already know. I know it all. I just, I'm just not doing it, you know, not living it. I just need to live it. Uh, and here's the here's the reality of this. Um, if you aren't living it, then you don't understand it. Like you have a lot to learn. So if you're saying um, my struggle is with applying what I've already learned, then the yoke is for you. That means you need to get into the yoke, not that you need to stay away from the yoke. You're not wasting someone's time. You're bringing them to the, like you're bringing to them this issue of I don't pray. Therefore, I don't really understand prayer. I don't read the Bible ever, so I don't really understand the Bible. I don't walk in obedience. I don't. I don't uh, wrestle with my, with sin. Like I don't rage against it. I just, I'm completely complacent and whatever. It's not a, a matter of like, oh, I'm so lazy. Laziness is not mindless. You know, like laziness is very much, it's a, it's a lack of understanding about what's true and real. So the yoke is for you and for me in the ways that we aren't living, living it out. So you don't run away from the yoke, you run to the yoke. Because if you really believe it, then you live it. If you don't live it, because you don't understand it yet. And this is where this is where it happens, with Jesus directly, and with other people. Jesus teaches us indirectly, um, but that's the that's the reality of 
of why this is so deceptive to us. Um, you might remember that Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. You know, he's like, uh, this is a kid that was like, I've kept all the commandments. I know all the commandments. I'm doing all this stuff. What do I lack? And Jesus is like, uh, sell all your stuff. And dude went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. One of the things about that encounter is like, here's, this, here's someone who had all this knowledge and all this was keeping all the rules and doing all the right things, but was missing the point. He needed to get into the yoke. Jesus says, sell your stuff. Get in the yoke. You need to understand what's going on because it's not affecting your life. And he went away and he was sad because he was clutching too tightly to his possessions. The yoke is for the rich young ruler. He ran away from it instead of running into it. We can't be like him. We can't do that. But many times we do. Peter and Andrew, we saw in John 1 that they uh, they hung out with Jesus, you know. They had been disciples of John the Baptist, so they knew who the Messiah you know, was. They had heard him and his preparation of things to the point when John was like, hey, there he is. They left John. They're like, see ya. And they went and followed him. And they followed him for a while, but at some point, they made a decision to go back home and go into the family business. And Jesus sought them out. And they're fishing. You know, we read it a few minutes ago. He's like, hey, follow me. I'll teach you how to catch men. Which probably didn't make any sense. Maybe, maybe it wasn't supposed to make sense to them at the time. Maybe it was the fact that the rabbi, the Messiah, showed up on the shore and sought them out. And said, hey, you need to follow me. Hey, the yoke is for you. He was basically saying like, hey, uh, you don't really understand what's going on, so I need you to get into here. He sought them, he sought them out. Jesus sought you out. He seeks you out. He seeks me out continually. It's not just about salvation. It's about this ongoing thing. So we don't resist it. We, we love it. We are drawn to it. And when you're walking with Jesus and you're in the yoke with Christ and he's, he's teaching you some things and um, he's, there's, a, there's this growth and this kind of stretching and this challenge that's going on. He not only wants you to learn from him, he wants you to learn from someone else. And so we seek out someone who is good at the things that we aren't good at. And that's a part of how that conversation goes. Is like, hey, uh, I'm not very good at this, but I think that you are, and I want to learn some things. Because what I've, my, the knowledge is not impacting the way I live my life, and that means I don't truly believe it yet. And I think God wants us to get in the yoke together, even just for coffee one day, and to learn. So that's that one uh, about our understanding. Number four. You can write the word perception. This is what this one sounds like. I mean, who who would care what I have to say? You know? Who who would want to learn from my life? We have this this insecure 
like these one of these deep insecurities about ourselves where we're like I don't really have anything to offer someone. You know, you see no no situation where you would benefit anyone being in this side of the yoke. Maybe there's some maybe, okay, all right, I can I got some stuff to learn, okay. But on this in this regard, like who would want to hear what I have to say to them? Who would want to imitate me? These deep insecurities that we have, you know, where we think, like, I'm just like the worst follower, you know. And I believe that these deep insecurities are, really points four and five are probably like the, the big ones. Okay, just going to give it away. I think the, one of the biggest, most effective footholds that the enemy has in the church to keep this from happening with each other are those deep insecurities that we have. And feeling like we really don't have anything to contribute to another life. That we only belong in the learning side and we're really not very good at that. We really don't have anything to offer someone else. Um, and it keeps us at bay. It keeps us very hesitant. It, it, makes, it makes you want me to like, move on to another subject. It wants this series to end. It doesn't want, you don't want to be challenged in it. You don't want to grow in it. You don't want this to happen. You want to just continue on with that not being a part of your life. And there are Christians all over the place, especially in America, who are the same exact way. And churches where this is just is absent, except for a few people, um, it's like largely absent, and it shows. You know, and I'm not saying like, look at our church and we're struggling and this and this and this, and that's why. I'm, don't hear me. That's, that's not a whine. You know, like I love our church. I think there's some phenomenal things happening. Some, just some absolutely remarkable things happening that that really point to the fact that this teaching and learning, this needs to be going on. If we had, if our church was filled with people who had no business being on this side of the yoke, do you think I would be preaching this? No. I wouldn't. I'd be like, hey, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be mentoring people. No, let's all go over here. Let's hang out over here for the next 25 years. And then maybe, maybe we'll start to transfer some people over here. no. God has us here because we're, it's time for this. We're ready for this. But if you are, are riddled with insecurity and feel like you have nothing to offer, then I believe that the enemy is just like going to just leave his tiny little foot in that foothold and keep you paralyzed. So what, what do we do with footholds? Well, we ask Jesus to uh, round those out. Because his tiny, dainty little feet get in there, so we want it to be smooth and flat. It's where he's trying, but it's just it's slipping, it's slipping. Because truth rounds that out, and the truth is that Jesus looks at your life, and he says, "You're good enough to come after me." And if Jesus approves of you, then you have something to offer someone. I don't care if you think so or not. I don't care if you have a whole list of things you're bad at. Jesus doesn't look at you and be like, you know what, you have no business being this side of the yoke. When you come into the family, when you come into his family and your identity is changed and everything about you becomes new, he looks at you and says, get in the yoke. You get in that side and you get in this side. You have something to offer. Jesus, to go back to the story, he, he goes after those guys. He sought them out. He sought them out. Think about that. He sought you out. Think about that. He sought me out. 
And don't, and don't like sit back and be like, well, I mean, he loves everybody the same, so how special can I be? Special enough for him to come to you, initiate an encounter, give a very specific invitation, and, and really like celebrate your obedient response if you come to follow him. And weep if you don't. That's significance. And he looks at you and says, all right, you, uh, you're a new creation, so uh, let's learn from other new creations, and then let's also teach these other new creations. Let's, let's let the teaching and learning happen. Because I've made you all good enough. I've made you all qualified. I've given you all some things to learn. I've given you all some things to teach. And I put you in a family where that can happen. And just like in your earthly families, you know, you learn how to tie your shoes at some point. You learn how to throw a baseball at some point. You learn proper phone etiquette at some point. You know, you learn to do certain things and just that's just how it works. We learn in the family. So this is a family yoke and not a single one of us is out of place in either side. So that's the fourth one. Number five. You can write the word proficiency. Proficiency. Here's what this one sounds like. Uh, You have to be really good at something before you can teach someone. And I'm not very good at following Christ. So, I have nothing to teach. It's kind of like the other one, a little bit. But I, I think it's, it's this belief that you have to be the, like a master at something before you can teach someone. And that's not true either. So point number four about perception, that's like how people view you and all those insecurities and stuff. But this one is feeling like you have to achieve a certain like status. You have to be, you have to like climb the ladder a little bit and get some like elite Christian like position before you can really have, have anything to teach someone. You know, when you go back to Jesus and you, all of us we have the perfect master teacher, you know? And those relationships, we see them. I was thinking a lot about Mr. Miyagi, uh, of course, you know. Uh, or like Obi-Wan Kenobi, maybe. Now we feel like we have to like be that, you know. You have to be awesome at something. You have to be awesome at prayer before you can teach someone how to pray. Thing is, we all have Jesus, who is awesome at everything, teaching us directly. So we all we have the master figure in our lives. We have that. That's not a void for us. But when it's our like interpersonal discipleship, person to person, we don't need another master who's perfect at something. We just need someone who's been fighting the battle a little bit longer than we have. We need someone who's maybe learned just a little bit more been in it just a little bit longer, has a little more experience, whatever. You don't have to be perfect in order to teach somebody something. In fact, we learn a lot from each other's imperfections. We learn a lot from mistakes. 
Every now and then, someone who's who's in ministry, going into ministry that's younger, they'll come to me and they'll say, like, hey, uh, you know, what are, the, tell me about, like, some of the best things you've learned in ministry, you know? You think I go to all the stuff I've done right? No, I go to all the mistakes that I've made. You think I would, if I told them, like, well, I'm not really good at any of it yet, so how about we just hit pause and maybe one day I'll get better at it and I can share some things. Like, no, let me tell you all the struggles and all the, failures and all the like uh, regrets and all the how I've learned through all those things let me teach you about that you're gonna learn a lot more from those things than the the few things that I've done correctly and done well Uh, that's what we need we need people who are humble enough to say I'm not a master at this but I'll tell you what I've learned I'll tell you what works for me I'll tell you whatever I'll tell you my story that's what we need Jesus goes after these guys, and I've said this before, but the fact that, that Andrew and Peter and, and John, the fact that they were on the fishing boats means that they had been rejected by a rabbi already, and they entered into the family business. They were raised in the Jewish faith, and after their bar mitzvah, they went and tried to get in with a rabbi, and they'd been told they weren't good enough, so they were, they were roughnecks. That's, how, that's just how their culture worked. And here's Jesus who seeks them out and says, hey, I know that that rabbi over there said you weren't good enough. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. I want you. And so he's not looking for people who are masters. He's looking for people who are obedient and faithful and willing to say, come on, I'll, I'll teach you a few things, I guess. He's looking for people who are humble enough to say, hey, I need to learn this. He's looking for people who will get into the yoke and it just not be a big deal. It just be simple. It's just simple. It's not complicated. It's simple. So the fact that in your life, Jesus initiated an encounter with you and gave you an invitation, and if you responded obediently to him, then you're, this is a completely like legit part of your life. It's what we're called to, and it's good. And it's ridiculous if we let these lies about time or perception or understanding or replication or proficiency keep us from something that he has built into us. And so you're ready for this. We as a church, we're ready for this. And so I hope that this is stirring some good things. I hope we can eliminate some of the dumb stuff that keeps us out of it. Let me pray for us. And we're going to sing a little bit in response. See what? Let's let's stand, and I just want to guide us for just a second here. So, won't you just just take a minute and uh, just close your eyes and just maybe just think about not focusing on the lies or whatever, just focusing on the fact that Jesus sought you. He pursued you and he arranged an encounter with you. No matter how you feel about yourself, he looks at you and sees you as worth it and good and equipped and ready. 
Just think about that for a second. Maybe just ask him to help that deep sense of identity make a difference in your willingness to teach or to learn. Just to... He would uproot whatever is maybe holding you back or making you feel weird about what you have to offer. And then in light of who he's made you, you'd walk faithfully and obediently with him. Jesus, we thank you that you have sought us and and looked beyond our failures or our shortcomings or whatever. You looked right into the heart of, of our most deep problem, which was sin, and you, um, you died so that there could be an so that there could be an exchange there. You've removed that heart of that was so hard and like a stone from sin and you've replaced it with with your spirit, your goodness which is alive and is transforming us from the inside out. We thank you for the way that that it changes everything about us. cast a different light on the things we've been through and what we're walking through now it gives us a hope and a future we need your help to not focus on all our shortcomings and deficiencies we want to continue to learn to see ourselves the way that you do and then as that leads to a deeper love for you and all of the goodness that is there, we know that that will cause us to to love others differently and to walk differently. So help us to not just learn um, theological points or interesting things about the Bible or whatever. We don't need to know more information. We need the things that we're learning to transform our lives as our minds are renewed. And so as we sing a little bit, Lord, maybe some things could continue to come alive in us uh, that your will would be done.